I'm going to be reading our scripture this morning, Genesis 25, verses 12 through 18, if you'd like to join. These are the family records of Abraham's son, Ishmael, whom Hagar, Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's slave, bore to Abraham. These are the names of Ishmael's sons. Their names, according to the family records, are Neboath, Ishmael's firstborn, then Kedar, Adbil, Mitsam, Mishma, Duma, Masah, Hadad, Tema, Jatur, Napfish, Kedema. These are Ishmael's sons, and these are their names by their villages and encampments, twelve leaders of their clans. This is the length of Ishmael's life, 137 years. He took his last breath and died and was gathered to his people. And they settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt, as you go toward Ashur. He lived in opposition to all of his brothers. Let's pray as our pastor comes. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the life that it offers us. We ask you to pierce our hearts as we hear this message today that you laid on our brother's heart from this word. We ask you to have your way and will in this church and be glorified among the nations. Amen. Yes, please turn in your Bible to Genesis 25 if you're not there already. We'll be bouncing around some. It's interesting, we've just read uh, of uh, the, the genealogy of, of Ishmael, uh, Abraham's son through the servant woman, and uh, it kind of gives us a, um, you know, a little bit of his death. And it was, it was interesting as I studied this week, um, I didn't have a whole lot of reading to do because most of my commentary said <laughs> almost nothing on this because it's, you know, Ishmael's uh, genealogy and death, and, and he's not the, the main point of the Bible, right? Um, and so they, they didn't say much, but I, I couldn't help but see uh, this, this similarity in uh, what, just, what we had just seen with Abraham in Genesis 25, verses 1 through, uh, through 11, and then now with uh, Ishmael. And there's this, this similarity there. And so I couldn't help but think as I studied this that there's a contrast taking place. As we know uh, about Abraham's life, when we know about Ishmael's life, they went very different directions, and uh, as well as Isaac, as Douglas mentioned. Um, but we've already seen Abraham's life, so I thought it would be helpful for us to contrast these lives today. Now, if you were with us, uh, especially last Sunday night, we talked about it in the morning as well, but the, the Sunday evening service um, we, we looked at Abraham's life, and we saw that he lived a, a truly good and a truly full life. And, and we tried to figure out, well, what is it that makes a life good and, and full? What, what makes a life, uh, biblically speaking, uh, w worth living, I guess you could say. And so as we looked at Abraham's life as well as uh, the rest of Scripture, we saw that uh, to live the, the good, full life was to live in worship of God in absolute dependence on God, and to lead others to see, worship, and depend upon this God of glory. 
And this is what it is. This is what we were created to do as humans. And then this is what we were recreated to do, especially as Christians. So, so we worship God. We, we see the glory of this one and only God of the universe. And we worship him for what we see. Because what we see when we look at God is holiness, goodness, wisdom, beauty, justice, uh, bigness, just general magnificence and splendor. If you're looking at the same Bible as me, that's what we see about our great God. And so we worship him for this. And because we see God's uh, bigness, his, his grandeur, his majesty, his holiness and wisdom and power, we depend on him for everything. We, we depend on him uh, in our position first for salvation, but then also for, for our everyday life, to, to live our lives the way that we should live them. And we, uh, we depend on him even for our satisfaction and contentment. We, we know that, that these things only come from God. When we, when we read the Bible, when we learn about God and about ourselves, we learn that these things only come from God. So we will not have salvation from anyone else, so we should depend on him for it. We will not be able to sustain our everyday life in a godly way without him. So we depend on him for it, and we will not have true satisfaction and contentment apart from God. And so we depend on him for these things. And then to multiply that joy and to multiply that worship of God, we try to lead others to see this glory of God and to worship him for it and to depend on him for it. And we said that that was the good life, not the easy life, not the comfortable life, not the, you know, uh, cotton candy life. It's a hard life oftentimes, but that is the good life. And that's what we will look at today is we, we saw that with Abraham, what, what it is to live the good life, what it is to, to, to spend your life well. But the question for us today is, well, what is it to waste a life? We have this uh, positive example for us to follow, but there's also in God's word negative examples for us to steer away from. So what is it to waste a life? If we were to, to define the wasted life, uh, what, what, what would be its criteria? I mean, you could say, well, it's just the opposite of what Abraham did. And I would say that's actually true. To not worship God, to not depend on God, to not spread his glory to all peoples. But I, I want to dig a little deeper than that. So we're going to contrast this Abraham and Ishmael and, and their lives and see these differences. If you go through life, coast through life, not worried about whether or not you will waste it, you likely will. <laughs> you likely will waste it. And I think these are very important for us to see, especially as we now look at even the, the negative example of, oh man, maybe that's in my life. Maybe that's a part of who I am, and that's something I need to ask God to get rid of. So I hope you will uh, um, listen with me today as we look at Abraham and Ishmael and contrast them. So if you're writing things in your notes, number one is a contrast in faith. A contrast in faith. Uh, for this, we've sort of got to uh, look back some uh, in God's Word, not, not just here at uh, Genesis 25 to understand, uh, you know, why their lives go the way that they do, is ultimately because of this contrast in faith. So we first could look at Abraham, the, the faith of Abraham, 
Now, I mean, if you've been, been studying with me, Abraham no doubt had lapses in his faith. He had weak areas that he would stumble and maybe even stumble there again. But if you look at the overarching narrative of Abraham's life, it is a life of faith, a life of dependence on God. I mean, you just think about it. God gives a command, a crazy one, leave your, your country, your kindred, and your father's house and go to a land that I'll show you. Just walk out the door and keep walking. And Abraham goes. You know, we saw that Abraham, everywhere he goes, he builds altars to worship this God. This is in front of these pagan people. We saw in Genesis 15, he finally understands uh, uh, that God is going to bring salvation through him. And it says there, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That is, he, he put his faith in God. He trusted God for this salvation, and it was counted to him as righteousness. We saw that when the son of promise was finally given, Isaac, God said, okay, sacrifice that son now. And we saw that Abraham obeyed. He went to the mountain, built the altar, bound his son, laid him on top of the wood, raised the knife, and it was only then that the angel of the Lord steps in and stops him. This is, this is, this is faith. This is a pattern of faith we're seeing. Uh, in, in chapter 23, that we see that when his wife dies, rather than send her body back to their original homeland, he says, no, I'm going to bury her in the promised land, even though I don't own a square inch of it. I believe God's promise that he will give us this land as an everlasting possession, so I'm going to bury her here. In chapter 24, we saw that when he realized Isaac is getting older, he's 40 years old, and he still doesn't have a spouse, rather than just taking a Canaanite wife or even sending uh, Isaac back to, uh, back to his old land, he, he sends a servant to go and provide a wife. And he even trusts that God will, will uh, coerce a woman uh, to come back with him. We, we see a pattern of faith in this man's life to the end. Yes, he stumbled. Yes, uh, uh, there were times God had to reprove and rebuke him, and he had to get back in line. But overall, we see a man of faith and dependence on God for salvation, for daily life, and even for satisfaction. But then... We look at Ishmael. He's, he's more what we're looking at today. We look at, you could say, the faith of Ishmael, or really, you know, the lack thereof of faith in Ishmael. Um, if you want to turn back with me uh, just a few chapters to 21, chapter 21, we see there that Isaac is born. So Ishmael had been born. Uh, he's about 13 years old at this point. And Isaac, this child of promise, is born, and then in verse 8, we see this, beginning in verse 8, and the child grew, that's Isaac, and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, sh whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. She saw Ishmael laughing at this, this party, this extravagant feast that was thrown for Isaac in this, this weaning time, uh, she sees him laughing, and if you remember from our study, uh, that word laughter is often used and translated even the, in the Bible as, as mocked or, or scorned. So, so we see there, Ishmael is scorning, he's mocking this child of promise. Paul even tells us in Galatians 4.29 that Ishmael persecuted Isaac. 
So this wasn't giggling. Don't, don't take that, that he was, uh, you know, giggling uh, over there innocently. He was mocking. He was scorning. He was persecuting this child of promise. And by connection, he is rejecting the God of that promise. He rejects the child of promise, and so he's rejecting the God of promise, that there is this promise through Isaac. And we see Ishmael say, nope, I don't want anything to do with that. I want to remind you here that both of these men, Abraham and Ishmael, had, had massive uh, spiritual benefits, massive spiritual even advantages, you could say, over the average person. Both of them, Abraham and, and Ishmael, had massive spiritual advantages. Uh, you, you see, both of them had the words of God. There was no written scripture at the time, but God was literally speaking to Abraham, and so he got to hear it directly, but Ishmael would have heard all that God said from his father Abraham. So both of them had, you could say, the word of God, the truth about God, the truth about what God was planning to do, and even uh, by connection there, both of them had the promises of God. Abraham had these great promises. I will bless you. I'll multiply you. I'll make a great nation through you. I'll bless those who bless you, those who curse you. I, I will curse, and, you know, and I will, uh, all the, the, the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And we actually see that, that Ishmael not only could have put himself under the promises that were given to Abraham, these covenant promises, he could have done that, but he was also given his own promises by God. He was given his own promises that he would be uh, the father of, of these nations and that God would do these things. And in addition, I mean, we just got to see this here. Both of these guys were massively blessed. Both of them were massively blessed. Abraham, we, we, we just recognize it all over that he's massively blessed, but we'll see today even how blessed Ishmael is. So we can't say that God favored the one and just jipped the other on, on blessing. So, of course, Abraham followed God. He's, he's blessing him. No, Ishmael was blessed as well. But the difference is, is they both responded differently to these blessings, to the word of God, to the promises of God. And I want to add just one more to this. That th this should be startling to us. Both of them, Abraham and Ishmael, had seen God miraculously fulfill his promises. Ishmael was, uh, I've got it written here, I think he'd have been 10 years old, no, 13 to 14 years old, when he witnessed his father, who was an elderly man, and his mother, not, not Ishmael's mother, uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah, he witnesses Abraham and Sarah, who are both elderly, have a child. And Sarah had been barren all this time. I mean, God made them wait all these years to make sure that there was no other explanation for this child Isaac existing other than God miraculously intervened. Ishmael saw this happen. He'd have seen the same miracle Abraham saw. And yet, they both responded to these things in massively different ways. Abraham believes God, he follows God, he worships God, he obeys God. Ishmael rejects God. He, he goes his own way. You could say he worships himself. He depends on himself. That's exactly what Ishmael did. And so I think we should uh, take a, a stern warning from this, really. I do. 
It is possible for you to have the word of God, to have the promises of God, to have the blessings of God, and maybe even see God do amazing things and yet still reject him. You can still waste your life even though you have all these spiritual benefits that God has lavished upon you. It is, it's possible. It's not only possible, it happens all the time. People reject God, even though they have all this going for them. Jesus actually called this um, kind of the, the unforgivable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You see the Holy Spirit for sure working, and yet you still reject him. That's what Ishmael did. He saw God working. The Spirit comes upon Sarah. She conceives a child. Uh, and yet he says, ah, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to go my own way. That was nothing. So whatever the reason Ishmael has for, for rejecting the child of promise, Isaac, and, and by connection rejecting God, he, he rebelled. He, he, he had this opportunity, this great opportunity in front, him, in front of him to live an amazing, faith-filled life, but he rejected God. I mean, he, he may have been, had his reasons, you know. He was probably jealous of Isaac, Right? You know, I, I was Abraham's firstborn son, but then Isaac comes along. He's the child of promise. You know, let's make a big deal about him. I'm sure he was jealous. I'm sure he felt neglected. But either way, it, would, it, should, it should have been no reason to reject God and, and, and put himself outside of these covenant promises. Again, he could have fallen under this canopy. Ishmael did not worship God. Ishmael did not depend upon God. He did not care a thing about spreading the glory of God to all the peoples of the world. And because of that, his life was wasted. That's the foundation. Well, we'll dig in deeper at what that looks like. But I want to stop for a moment and ask you, does your faith look more like that of Abraham or that of Ishmael? You could say, well, I go to church, I, I read my Bible, and... Well, cool. Uh, Ishmael had, had the church of Abraham. <laughs> he, he led them in, in sacrifices. Ishmael, you know, uh, would have told them the, the, him the words of God. But that didn't make the difference. The difference was, do, do, do you reject him or do you accept him? Do you, do you love him? Do you worship him? Do you obey him? Whose faith does yours most reflect? You know, it's interesting when I think about this, um, the, these two faiths and many people's, again, reasons for rejecting God. And many people, and even myself at one time in my life, thought, okay, if I trust God for my salvation, if I put my faith in Him, put my faith in Jesus Christ, I then have to obey God. And that, that's actually right thinking. Um, you do have to obey God. Like, that's part of this faith is you're, you're turning from your sin and you're turning to righteousness by the power of God. But the, the, the error was, I erroneously, and many people erroneously, er, erroneously think, well, if I'm worshiping and obeying God, then my life will be miserable. My life will be dull. It will be boring. It will be depressing. That's what people often think. And people have this idea, if I just reject God, I'll be master of my own destiny. I'll do what I want to do, when I want to do it. I won't have anyone telling me, uh, you know, you, you can't do that. Oh, no, no, you need to do that. And I will be so happy because I get to do what I want when I want. That's what many people think. 
And so what I want to give us now is number two, a contrast in life. What was, was Ishmael right? <laughs> was he right that, that rejecting God, obeying only himself, worshiping only himself, would bring him the highest happiness in life? So we'll look at a contrast in life. We look at Abraham again. We, we saw him last week. And the question is, did he live a dull and depressing life? He followed God. He, he worshiped God. He obeyed God. Was his life depressing? Was it joyless? Well, we saw this. Look at uh, chapter 25, verses 7 and 8. 25, verses 7 and 8. This is kind of the eulogy of Abraham's death. It says, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. I explained to you about that last week, that that's more than just a, a, a quantity of life, 107 years, a, a lot of years, a, a full amount of years. It's not just a quantity, it is a quality of life that he lived. They were good years, they were full years that Abraham lived. They, these were just euphemisms that they had in this day for a man who lived a good life. We'll actually see this happen again when, when Isaac passes away. It says the, the, uses these same words for him. So why did Abraham live such a good and full life? Well, because he was worshiping God. He was depending on God. He was obeying God imperfectly, but the overarching, overriding uh, uh, aspect of his life was that he had faith in God. And because God had created him to worship, God had created him to depend and, and, and spread the glory of God, he had the most satisfaction. Again, we, just, we need to separate these things that being satisfied and, and having joy is different than being comfortable and having things easy. I, I'm not saying that Abraham lived a comfortable or easy life. He lived in tents all his life. He traveled around, you know, in a land that was not his own. He had uh, hardships and tragedies, and yet his life was full. It was full of joy in God. Let me just give you a couple uh, passages that I, I think are, are really cool. Psalm 21, verses 1 and 2. You, you can just listen. It would probably take a second to get there. Psalm 21, verses 1 and 2 say this. King David says, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Then skipping down to verse 6. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, well, David must have lived a, 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 a plush life, an easy life, right? No. Read God's word. The dude was hiding in caves all the time. He was always in war. He was known as the, the war king. Doing, he had a hard life in many ways. And yet it says there, you make him blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. And there is, of course, uh, one of our favorite verses. Again, David says about God, You make known to me the path of life. 
In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what Abraham had. He did not not have necessarily the easy cush life. He was blessed in many ways. But the highest way that he was blessed was with the presence of the Lord. Communion to God, this, this ability to worship God rightly. When we think of worship, we often think of, oh, I have to worship God. Let me ask you, sports fans, is it a painful thing to worship your favorite team? I'm using that word worship loosely. No, you enjoy it. You love saying, go, go, go. Yes, did you see that touchdown? You love it. In the same way, Abraham and David and we should love worshiping our great God. Even when the season doesn't go well, football fans, you know, um, maybe we're in a hard season. And even then, we still say, ah, that's my team. And I say, even in a hard season, ah, that's my God. (laughs) He, He is good. He is glorious. And we have this joy because of his presence in our life. But again, we look at Ishmael. We've got to turn the table here. We've already been looking at Abraham, but what about Ishmael? He decided to follow his own ways, to find his own joy. He's going to be master of his own destiny, remember? His own boss, obeying no one and nothing. How did that work out for him? What kind of quality of life did he have? Well, we look in our passage today. This is, this is going to take a second. It won't be just a straight answer because I want to build this here. Genesis uh, 25, look at verses uh, 13 through 16. 13 through 16. It says there, These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in their, the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Tema, Jeter, Nafish, and Kedama. Okay, I just listed 12 sons of Ishmael. 12 sons of Ishmael. If you understand anything about this culture, the culture of their day, to have 12 sons was to be infinitely blessed by the way they thought. To to have 12 sons would have been such a huge prize for them because for them to have have all these sons meant meant that you would be uh, incredibly blessed financially. Right? You would have all these sons to help you work in whatever your trade was, maybe your fields, maybe to do your flocks. You would have all these sons to make you rich. (laughs) They were like born servants, basically, uh, in lots of ways. Not only that, they would make you politically and militarily stronger. Right? You'd have these strong sons who could then fight for you. They could stand up for you. You'd have all of this. And Ishmael had 12 sons. Incredibly blessed. The blessings of God, at least in this uh, earthly, temporal sense, were not lacking on him. Then you even look at verse 16. It says, oh, I'm sorry. Ver- verse 16 says, These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names, by their villages and by their encampments, twelve princes according to their tribes. Okay, so we just said you would want Uh, a lot of sons to make you financially and politically and militarily strong. How did that work out for him? It worked out pretty well. He has these children that they each have their villages, they have their encampments, their 12 princes or, or chiefs, you could say, of their tribes. It worked. The thing that Ishmael was pursuing worked. He had lots of sons, and those sons did make him rich. Those sons did make him powerful. 
He was living the Arab dream, you could say. He had it all by worldly standards. But how did it go for him? How did that affect his quality of life, even though he got everything he thought would make him happy? Look at verse uh, 17. This should, you should hear the echo here, but see the differences. Verse 17. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. Do you remember what it said about Abraham there? Abraham, it said, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years and was gathered to his people. But Ishmael, he breathed his last, he died. He was gathered to his people. Do you see what's missing there? These, these sayings, these euphemisms for a high quality of life are entirely absent from Ishmael. Yes, he lived. He actually lived to a pretty good age, I'd say, 137 years. But it just says he lived these many years, 137. They weren't good years. They weren't full years. But he lived them. He had all this success. He had all the sons. He had all the power, all the wealth that he could have ever hoped for. But his life was actually the depressing one, the joyless one. Not the one who followed God, not the one who obeyed God, but the one who followed and obeyed himself, his own desires, his own will, his own wants. That is the one who ended up being miserable, by all accounts, miserable. Look at verse 18. We can see just part of what this looked like for him. It says, they, talking about his sons, uh, who were the princes over these areas, they settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt, in the direction of Assyria. He settled over and against all his kinsmen. <laughs> That's the summary of Ishmael's life. He settled over and against. That means in hostility toward all his kinsmen. Is that what you want the epitaph of your life to be? He, he was hostile to everyone around him. <laughs> You, you see this guy that, you know, he, he's master of his own destiny. How did he spend his life? Striving, fighting, hostility, struggling. And I would say he was striving for the wind, right? He was grasping, but there was nothing of actual value there. So even when he got power, even when he got lands, his life was still empty. That's what we see for Ishmael. Rejects God, believing it will make him happy. Gets everything he wants, but ends up miserable. Abraham, on the other hand, by God's grace, humbly submits to God's will, follows God, worships God, obeys God. And he has this fullness, this, this joy, this good life that we all want. It is a lie of Satan, my friends, that following your own will, your own wants, your own fleshly desires will make you happy. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's, that's what he comes to do to your life. But I, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, Jesus says in John 10.10. 10. We say, but uh, I've got to obey. I don't get to do what I want to do. Jesus says in John 15.10 and 11, if you keep my commandments, that's obeying, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What? 
commandment-keeping, not burdensome, but actually joy-filling. This is what, what God's Word tells us. And I, I realize that this is opposite of what the world tells us. It's certainly opposite of what Satan tells us. It's opposite of what our flesh tells us. But it is the God-honest truth because it's God who tells us. God created us, and God is the one who can satisfy us. He is the only thing, because he is so glorious, that can satisfy us. So by worshiping him, by obeying him, by spreading his glory, we actually get the satisfaction we long for. It's a beautiful thing. And so, friends, I would ask you, th these things are all on a continuum. You may not have uh, the, the rejection of Ishmael on your heart, but let me ask you, do you have the joy of Abraham? Do you have that kind of joy in your life? Even in the hard circumstances, is there an overarching joy and fullness and goodness that says, it's all right? Bring it on, world. I've got my God, and I'm good. Is that there? If, if it's not, I would say it could be many things. You know, Jesus says, if you obey my commandments, I tell you these things, uh, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. Maybe you're living in sin. You, you may have trusted in Christ for your salvation, but you're still holding on to some pet sins. Still holding on to some attitudes that, that just aren't right. And you think, well, those are the ones I really like. They're going to keep me happy. No, no, no. They are robbing you, robbing you, robbing you of joy. You need to get rid of those sins. We need to uh, repent of those sins, reject those sins by the power of God and say, God, I want to be satisfied by you, not by my sins, not by my, uh, uh, the lusts of my flesh, not by the, the, the sinful desires of my heart. I want to be satisfied by you. It could be that maybe you're not communing with this God. So maybe you're not seeking your satisfaction in sin, but you're not seeking it in God, right? Psalm 19.7, uh, I believe it is, says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Reviving the soul. There's this idea of life as we're studying God's word, communing with God. We have this life and re reviving in our souls that, that can pull us through even the darkest uh, tempest and storm. Do you have this kind of joy? Are you living, uh, you could be living, you know, the completely sinful, rejected life, and you're not going to find joy. I'll tell you right now, you're going to keep searching the rest of your life until you either bow the knee or pass away like Ishmael. But even as a Christian, you can go through this life and still sort of waste it by not <laughs> drinking from the dregs of God, His goodness, His fullness. It can happen. It can happen. I want to look at one final point here, this one final contrast of this life, and I hope it will, will again, just be an encouragement that our, our lives would be lived fully, wisely for God. And that is number three, if you're writing things down, a contrast in legacy. A contrast in legacy. What, what happened after they died? What, what impact did they make on this world? I mean, almost everyone, I know some people are crazy and don't care, but almost everyone wants to leave a good legacy. They want to leave a good imprint on this world, you know? What will, what will people think about me when I'm gone? I mean, that's not really important, but, you know, it, we, we care about it. And, and what, what kind of impact will I have made on this earth for the better? I mean, even if you think in worldly terms, this is very important. You have, you know, environmentalists. 
rights advocates, right? They're, they're saying, I want to turn the political systems, turn the cultural systems so that people have a better, uh, better life in the future, they feel. You have these liberty advocates, and many of these are sinful, by the way. Not, not all of them. Many of these are very good, but many of them are sinful. They're fighting for sinful things, but they're doing it for a reason. You can think of scientific and, and medical research, right? They're trying to better humanity. They're looking for cures. They're looking for ways to, to fix uh, the problems that we deal with. Why? So that people in the future will live a better life, um, have, have a, a more blessed life, even, you could say. And so we care about this, having a good legacy. So the question is, with these two men, with their different faith, their different quality of life, what kind of legacy did they leave? Well, for Abraham, I hope you understand that the legacy is pretty simple. It's pretty simple that, that God was going to and did bless all the nations, all the families of the earth through him, through his offspring. Because we know, right, that down the line you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob uh, begets Judah as well as the other uh, 11, 12, 11 uh, tribes of Israel. Uh, you know, but Judah specifically, and then on down the line, dot, 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 and we see, boom, Jesus, the Messiah, comes on the scene. The Messiah, who literally comes to take away the sins of the world, comes through this line of, of Abraham. I mean, can you think of a better legacy? By the way, I, I have them in here. I, I, I didn't read them, but we see that, and in, all you, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's um, 12, chapter 12, verses, uh, verse 3. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. That's 18, verse 18. Uh, then uh, 22, 18 says, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. I mean, so it's just over and over again. God says it's going to happen. Then as we read the Bible, we see that it does happen. Abraham's legacy is a blessing to all the world. There is now, because of Abraham's legacy, a way of salvation, the way, the truth, and the life through which no one comes to the Father but by him. Jesus Christ comes through Abraham's legacy. Now, that's not to, to puff up Abraham, but it is just show that this, this different legacy. Well, what about Ishmael, though, right? Because we're, we're doing a, a contrast here. What is Ishmael's legacy? Some of you know where I'm going right now, and, and uh, you're probably smiling as you contrast it to Abraham's legacy of blessing for all the earth. But to summarize it, you could say that Ishmael's legacy was a curse to all people. Up here, people. What's up? He'll make it. All right. Um, so Ishmael's legacy, I, I can't rewind. Um, Ishmael's legacy is a curse to all the peoples of the earth, okay? We, we see there, um, verse 18, they, that's Ishmael's offspring, settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. Does anyone know where that is? Where is that? Anyone? That's, that's the Arab nations. That's Arabia. What, what's going on in Arabia even today? <laughs> There's so much conflict coming out of that part of the world. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's where they settled, and it says he settled over and against all his kinsmen. So Ishmael settled over against all his kinsmen, and as I was just saying, that has not stopped to this day. That has not stopped to his day, that, that the Ishmaelites 
largely, not every single individual, but largely have settled over and against, in hostility against everyone else. This is politically incorrect things that I'm going to say, but again, the, the Arab nations come through the line of Ishmael. This is a historic as well as biblical uh, fact that the Arab nations come through Ishmael. Later, it is an Arab who can tie, he says he can tie his uh, descendancy back to Nebaioth, which is uh, Ishmael's firstborn son. You have the prophet Muhammad. He starts the religion of Islam. Okay? So what's the big deal about Islam? Well, do you know what jihad is? Jihad literally means in Arabic, the struggle, the fight. And so what what this is, is uh, for at least those who are more on the extreme side, or really if they just follow the Quran, this is what jihad means, is that they will fight and struggle against all those who do not fall under their false teachings. That's what jihad is. This is happening in the world today. Terrorist groups, not all of them, most of them are Islamic jihadists, Islamic fighters. Uh, that's what's going on. All the, these uh, terrorist things that are going on is because of jihad. They are told to be fighting and warring against uh, those who do not fall under their beliefs. They are told to take over the world with their beliefs. And if they don't take, uh, uh, you know, convert people to their beliefs, then, then they are uh, persecuted in many ways. And that's actually what Sharia law is. So uh, Muslims, especially uh, Islam states, Islam nations, that their political uh, uh, religion is Islam. They have what's called Sharia law, and this is just a political system that uh, allows for and even requires, in many ways, ill treatment, persecution, and martyrdom, murder of those who do not fall in line with their false beliefs. They, they are told to, to, to behead the people. That's what Sharia law is. They're told to burn the people. That's what Sharia law is. You have different things that, that they might live peaceably with you for a while if they're over top of you, but you will be treated as less than human. If you study the Quran, you'll see these things, even that they are told to do this. And so they have made a law from the Quran saying this is how we will treat people. And this is what's currently happening to millions and millions and millions of people in the world right now. It's currently uh, what we, you know, we're, we're still in September. September 11th was, you know, a couple of weeks ago. The Twin Towers go down. Thousands of people died there. Untold millions of people murdered. Untold millions. We're talking yearly murdered for not only their faith, but just not accepting even the faith of the Muslim of the Ishmaelite. Again, it's not every Muslim. It's not uh, every Arab. So uh, just keep from that misunderstanding. But <laughs> that's Ishmael's legacy. Murder, hostility, persecution, force, falsehood, directly pointing people away from the true God and true Savior, Jesus Christ. That is his legacy. Whereas Abraham's legacy was a blessing to all the nations, all the families of the earth, Ishmael's legacy was a curse to all the nations, all the families of the earth. So there is a stark contrast here, isn't there? These two men, they begin with a different faith. 
They both have a similar experience of the word of God, the promises of God, the blessings of God, seeing God miraculously work in this world, yet they respond to those things differently. And from our point of view, it would be that one put his faith in God and the other rejected God. Well, what was the outcome of that? You know, how, how did that go? Well, Abraham lived a full life as he worshiped God, obeyed God, honored God with his life. Ishmael, the one who thought he could make himself happy, lives the depressing, the hostile life, even though he got everything he could ever want. I know I, I say this all the time, but I mean, rich people are not happy. Uh, not, not, not all of them. I'm just saying being rich does not make a person happy. We see it all the time in pop culture, the, the different actors and stars and uh, uh, CEOs who, who take their own life or, or just are, you know, um, going to rehab and all the, it, it didn't ever make them happy. It didn't work. God, because he is so glorious, is the only one that does work. By dropping our uh, fleshly hopes and dreams and taking up our cross and following him, we actually gain life it says in matthew and finally we see this legacy what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind one that brings glory to god as a blessing to all the earth people could be saved through you think about this people could be saved through you through your children your children can go share with people literally the whole world can be different because of your legacy of faith by god's grace as much as that is true, the whole world can be different because of your legacy of, of rejection and rebellion against God. And I shudder to think of that in my own life, of, of building that kind of legacy. I, I beg God to give me a legacy of blessing to the world. But that will not happen without faith in God and, and, and worshiping God and relying on God and finding my satisfaction in God. It will not happen work it will not work so today we got to think about some things what path am i on is my faith that of uh, abraham's or ishmael's friend young person old person i don't care what age you are you have the word of god you have the promises of god you have the blessings of god you most likely have seen miraculous things in your life because of god are you rejecting him are you accepting him? It makes all the difference. And for those of us who are saved, again, do you have that deep joy? Is it there? Is it overarching? Or are you always teetering on the edge of spinning out of control because you don't have this ballast of deep joy and hope and peace in God? Obey God. Worship God. And he will bring that fullness into you no matter what bad or difficult situations come i pray that god would make today a, a turning point in some of our lives whether big or small maybe today is the day of salvation for you i don't want to follow the line of ishmael i don't want to believe his lies or maybe it can be even little change you're right jeff pastor jeff that sin i thought it would make me happy but i, I see now that it was a lie i'm gonna drop it and, and just all the more follow god that's the decisions you can make right now by God's grace. Let's pray. Father God, 
We do not want to waste these one and only lives you've given us on this present earth. We don't want to waste it. We know that time will pass quickly. We know that decisions will always be made, and we want to live our lives to the fullest, Lord. So God, give us the grace of not only um, having your revelation, your word, not only having your promises and your blessings, but God, open up our hearts to believe it. God, I pray that right now you would be taking out hearts of stone and putting in hearts of flesh where that is needed, where salvation has never happened. Help people to see the cross as true and beautiful, the resurrection as empowering, that you might get all the glory in their salvation. God, for those of us who do not experience you enough, and we can know that by our lack of joy, God, give us the grace to forsake sin, to make time for you, to recognize your presence, and worship you with all of our lives. You deserve it, and you actually let us have great joy when we do it. This I pray in your Son's name. Amen.